Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here for the show. Welcome aboard. E2247 is in the house with a lot of information. So is. Well, no, the reason why is I'm trying to get all the 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 thing, the I's dot, the T's. I need a helper to get all these things that have to get done and calculated together, my dear Bridge MCP. All right, Lee Grant is in the house. Bridge MCP is in the house. E2247 is in the house. El Senor Bruce Pollard is in the house. So is AVQ and Yvette Avery Herod. How are my peeps doing? Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. We've got a great show for you today as usual. E2247 says that's why two consecutive Balmarsh tribunals are relevant. All a PDR, PDR posse with transcript. Thank you, buddy, from Democracy Now. Norman Reynolds is in the house. He's back. He's back. He's back. Welcome aboard, brother Reynolds. We also have, of course, uh, Politics and Right displays best features of a free pass or free press done right. But there's no doubt PDR and PDR Posse will be on the line defending from the threats of freedom. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, there's another video I was trying to prepare. You know, we we won our case yesterday at the executive committee meeting in uh, Houston last night. It was a contentious, a contentious vote. But ultimately, it was a blowout. I'll talk to you guys about that in a minute as we get the program going. I want to get some of the other issues taken care of before we get ready. Anyhow, folks, guess what? Guess what? Yesterday, we had, uh, yesterday somebody on the program, I don't remember who it was, talked about doom as if, uh, you know, we don't really have control. That was sort of the implication. And I said, no, we're not going to go there. We have control, but we have to actively engage. And it's great to constantly say things like that. It is great to constantly say things like, you must engage. You can make a difference. Uh, uh, be a part of the pot. And, you know, a lot of times you do that and you don't see results, right? Because we don't really engage as we should. We need good, great organizers out there. We need people who are going to engage and get things done. And yesterday, welcome aboard, May Wood. Yesterday was a case in point. I brought to our show several times uh, my good friend, the president of Indivisible Houston, uh, Daniel Cohen. I brought him here and I, I really wanted to cut the the interview that I did on, on the program this morning, but I didn't have the time. But you guys know, uh, you guys know about Daniel, who is the president of Indivisible Houston. Uh, well, what he did, the way parties work, people always complain about the parties don't work. The parties are doing what they want. The parties are doing what they want because of the structure. Within every party, there are these things called precinct chairs. I'm a precinct chair within the, the, the Harris County Democratic Party. But again, there are about 800 precinct chairs in Harris County alone. And you, and you extra, expo, extrapolate that to every county in Texas. Texas has about 200 something counties. Each of these counties have several precinct chairs per precinct. I don't recall how many precincts there are in the state of Texas, but that, is, that can be permutated all over the country. The way you get policy, the way you get a party to do what you want that party to do is you go ahead and make sure 
that you can address the precinct chairs who makes the rules for the party. Right? If you have an overabundance of uh, neoliberals as precinct chairs, you get neoliberal policies that that party supports. If you get good progressive people, that's what you get as far as policies. If you remember what occurred, I think it was in Nevada, the Bernie Sanders people took over that particular party. Of course, a little bit of dissension occurred and there are some other issues, but that's beside the point. We have to work as activists within the party and outside of the party. You need those forces to get change. And that is what occurred last night. It was a simple vote, but it showed you what or that it shows you that organizing can beat organizing can actually beat the system. And here's the other thing that's important for people to know. Most Americans are progressives. Most people, when given the information that you are asking them to vote for or support, you will see that it generally comes out on the progressive side. The problem is how it's articulated. And in our young activists that got all the precinct chairs together, we showed how it is done. It wasn't done overnight. It was done over a period of months. And it was done with persistence. And it was done with actually following the rules of the party, going through the the uh, the go going through the resolutions committee, going through the uh, panels and everything one step at a time. One of the things with progressives and, and young activists is that they want the change. But when it comes to the stay in power to engage and do the change, we kind of slip off. And that's how the neoliberals who always have the ability to do so succeed. That didn't happen with Daniel Cohen this time around. Because what this brother did, we have a district attorney, Kim Og. This is a Democratic district attorney, a Democratic district attorney. This district attorney has been uh, allowing police officers who kill our citizens. They've been getting a slap on the wrist or not or no build in a jury, in, in, in a grand jury. And, you know, a prosecutor can can actually indict a ham sandwich, as they would say. This is a prosecutor who, even though the party says you cannot endorse uh, people of the other party, she endorsed a Republican against a Latino uh a Latino district, or rather a Latino person who paid the, their dues in the district, in the entire county. But she wanted to get a yes, a passing grade from the MAGA Republicans here in town. She also went ahead and, indi- not indicted, placed a 64-year-old black man who, was, who had a conviction he thought he could vote. The state of Texas, in, in searching all over for illegal votes, for voter fraud, the state of Texas said, we are going to prosecute this guy who, you know, he, he's clean. I mean, he's out of jail, but he, he was a few days outside of parole for to be able to vote or whatever it was. 
and she's and uh, the, the because the 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 state of Texas attorney general is absolutely sure that he couldn't get convicted in Harris County. They move it to Montgomery County. And when they move it to Montgomery County, the judge says, I'm sorry, a, 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 an attorney general cannot bring a charge of voter, this, this voter charge in Montgomery County. Montgomery County dropped the charge. It could have ended there. Well, somebody, according to our DA, somebody complained in Harris County. So she had to investigate the case. Instead of just investigating the case and saying, okay, this was this sort of an error that occurred, and also given that it was no build already in in, uh, Montgomery County, we will let it go. She made a big issue out of taking this black 64-year-old man to the grand jury. And he took him to the grand jury just so that the Republicans can say, ah, she is willing to go up against the voters we don't want voting. And there are two messages that she sent there. The first message was, hey guys, I'm an acceptable Democrat for you Republicans in this Democratic county to vote for so that I can triangulate Democrats and and Republicans to beat real progressive Democrats. That's the reason she did it. And the second thing that it does is if you go ahead and throw uh, and force a person to have to go in front of a grand jury. A lot of black men who touched the law are going to think twice before they go out there and vote. So all of that is what she did. Then, uh, if you know, the the Republicans wanted to have nothing to do with COVID, COVID COVID-19. They wanted people to go back to work. They didn't want the, the, the vaccinations, all of that. Well, she, there is this uh, uh, Pakistani doctor who, at the end of the day, he had leftover COVID, and he went ahead and gave it to whoever he could, family members, etc. The, 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 gave the gave the vaccine to them. She put him, arrested him, got him out to the grand jury because he saved lives with using the COVID vaccine. A Pakistani doctor, okay. She gave it away, gave it away. He gave it away. He didn't know he charged nobody for anything. He just did the humane thing. She almost destroyed this Pakistani doctor's life. What was the message she was trying to send? One, I'm one of you with this COVID thing. Yeah, I know you guys don't like COVID. Look, I don't like COVID either. But the second thing is, and look, look at who I convicted, a Pakistani dude, a Muslim dude. She went after uh, our Latino, the first, the, the, the most important, the most powerful politician in Harris County went to a 30 year old at the time she was 28. She beat a, an incumbent. She beat a 60 something year old Republican guy to become the most, the, the, what they call the county judge the most powerful politician in the county. A 28-year-old, very smart woman, young woman, beat the incumbent that many Democrats here have voted for, even as he never reneged on Donald Trump. What did she do? She found all kinds of ways to go after the young woman, the Latino young woman. And you know what? 
so she 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 filed charges against two of the workers uh, for her, but she still can't get to the Latino woman. But she's trying. Another commissioner, black guy, she goes after. Take him to the to the to the courts. What happens? No bill. She had no case. And because she lost in the in in the jury, she goes ahead and writes a nasty letter to the county attorney. Hey, go ahead and did what this guy did still wasn't correct, the right thing to do. What am I saying here? Our district attorney has a propensity to go against Democrats. She has a propensity to go against people of color. She has all these different propensities to do these things. And folks, what Daniel Cohen and many other guys did is they they went through the rules. They made sure to get it on the agenda. They they got it through the the they got it through the resolutions committee to put it up on the agenda as a resolution. And guess what? They went to each each precinct chair in the county to get their votes, to make the case, to explain why we needed to admonish this district attorney. And in the process, the district attorney and all the neoliberals, they got together on a campaign to try to beat us down. And they, they called they called us, uh, what was the word that they used? Elitist. They called us uh, uh, insurrection. They called us all kinds of names. But we kept our eye on the ball. And by the end of the night, last night, Kimog was admonished 129 to 61. 129 precinct chairs voted to admonish her. 61 voted to not to admonish her. That is what happens when you follow the rules, you engage, and you make things happen. So folks, I want for all those that think doom, for all those that think you can't make a difference within the party, I say you can. You can make a difference within the party. You can make a difference without of the party. I told folks when I joined, when I became a precinct chair, I told folks that I, I, I became a precinct chair as a, as a progressive, as a Berniak, etc. And uh, I, I told all the other Berniaks, when precinct chairs come open, get into the party and get those precinct chairs. Run as a precinct chair. And many did. At one point, I thought about quitting and I got a call that said, you are not quitting as a precinct chair. Don't forget what you told us. We had to serve as precinct chairs as Berniaks because that's a, you have to work within the party. To which I said, okay, I'll stay because I needed to fulfill my duty that I asked others to fulfill. Anyway, I wanted to tell that story simply to tell everybody this. You can make a difference. Okay, let's go ahead and start talking about what people are writing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been modulating and talking and you guys have been having great discussions. All right. From Michael Rudden, 
what have we got here? New York Times, top court clearest path for Democrats to, to redraw House map in New York. The ruling could allow Democrats to tilt anywhere from two to six GOP seats, uh, GOP held seats leftward. Republicans vow to challenge any gerrymandering on the map. Yeah, they want to challenge a gerrymandering now, right? Well, I say gerrymander the heck out of that map in New York because we can if we can get an additional six seats out of New York, let's do it. All right. I'm not going to read the whole thing there. Uh, we get the point. Hunter Biden wants to get wants to have his congressional discussion live and out in the public, but Republicans want to conceal it and spin whatever he says in a closed door meeting. And that's why he should not do a closed door meeting. He should do it out in the open. There's nothing here that requires a closed door. So I'm with Biden all of the way. Uh, let's uh, what else we got here? What else we got here? Michael Ronald also says the Natural History Museum, the next five years are set to be the hottest ever with the world set to reach 1.5 degrees C of warming for the first time. Actually, we have reached that number temporarily several times this year already. Okay. And like he says, while this will only be temporary, it's a warning of how urgent climate action has become. All right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. What else have we got here? Uh, Paul Fleming says Rudy Giuliani could be ordered to pay $43 million in damages for defaming Georgia election workers Rudy Freeman and Shea Moss. Plus, Giuliani has uh, possibly defamed the Georgia election workers again outside the D.C. courthouse as a jury prepares to decide the damages. This is like somebody who's on trial for robbery, committing a robbery on his way into his trial. It is insane. MSNBC analyst Glenn Richard tells Joy, you know, I think he wants to get uh, held up as being cuckoo, that he's crazy because he sure is acting crazy. Melanie Keelan from Barcelona, Spain is in the house. How are you doing, Melanie? Great to see you here. All right, what else have we got here? Michael Rennes says, the trigger point for global warming acceleration followed by civilization breakdown will be the breaking of the cryosphere as the Arctic Ocean will go ice-free by 2035. And, you know, some clowns actually believe that's a good thing. Oh, we can now navigate faster from the... I, 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 I. All right. Yes, Paul, I heard that uh, Tanya Chutney, she, it's a state. What it is, is that she really can't do anything until the Supreme Court rules. That's all that's about. Raimundo Ibarra. Welcome to Politics Done Right. All right. What else we got? Mike Cisak is in the house. Welcome, Mike. Uh, Bridge MCP says Sanders votes no on giving Israel aid to continue inhumane war on Gaza. I do not believe that we should give the right-wing extremist Netanyahu government, an additional $10.1 billion with no strings attached. Jake Johnson said Senator Bernie Sanders was the lone member of the Senate Democratic Caucus to oppose advancing a $110 billion supplemental foreign currency. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. I was going to talk a little bit about Netanyahu, but thank you for bringing that up, Bridge MCP. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because we're kind of at 25 already. But folks, check what she has to say out there. Uh, let's see. Michael Ron says Trump, he's doing whatever he can to delay the start of the trials. Trump wants to ensure he gets a Republican primary nomination, which they may, might consider if he's in prison. As a Trump problem are all criminals, not political. Trump is set to drag the Republican Party down with him. I don't know. Uh, look, the guys, uh, I don't know if the Republican Party is going anywhere. I don't think so. I think the Republican Party is at stasis. I think this is who the Republican Party will be going forward. 
it will be a 40% party made up of, uh, of that 40%, 75% are nutcases that have no, uh, what's the word that I want to say, that have no soul. And the others are just Democrat, or rather Republicans by, well, by culture. But there is an evil sect in there that I think we just have to work on one person at a time, one person at a time. All right. Paul Fleming says the House Oversight Committee has been at this for years and they have so far not been able to provide any concrete evidence that Joe Biden personally profited from his son, Hunter. That is amazing, right? But what can I say? Uh, let's see. Michael Rudnan says, I swear the party of law and order has a problem with law and order as it applies to them. Exactly. Lee Grant says, here is one on site on being doomed. We are doomed. Reclaiming conservative pessimism in 2009 nonfiction book by British American writer uh, John Derbyshire. He draws up classical conservatism, thinking to argue that modern Western civilization is dying and will eventually fail completely. He blames what he sees as a collectivist and utopian mindset among the political left, as well as an irrational optimism and faith in the future on the political fight. I think that is the most asinine statement one person could make. That is one of the most asinine statements. In other words, doing good is bad. That's what it says. Doing good is bad. In other words, conser- he's actually admitting that conservatism is inherently evil. It, he doesn't. He said it in a, in a nice way. I want to repeat that for you guys. He draws upon classical conservatism thinking to argue that modern Western civilization is dying and will eventually fail completely. He blames what he sees as a collectivist and utopian mindset among the evil, the political left, as well as an irrational optimism and faith in the future on the political right. I know it's hard to discern what he's saying in, in, in those nicely quoted words. That is saying that it is, it, uh, it, that is believing in imperialism. That, in other words, he believes unless we know that we go out there and conquer, again, it says he blames what? A collectivist and utopian mindset. Collectivist, we believe in collectivism, not master slave relationship, but collectivism. And that's why it's going to fail, right? And an irrational optimism. And faith in the future on the political right. I don't know if the political right have any kind of optimism of anything. All right, let's continue. Oh, uh, let's see. Lee Grant reading the works of a known racist. Yep, that tracks Rational Wiki. John uh, Dervishar is a paranoid racist white supremacist and homophobic American writer whose fetid bigotry proved unacceptable even for the far right journalists at the conservative National Rational Review. In 2012, Derbyshire responded to a street execution of African-American teen Trevon Martin by unleashing a knee-jerk swarm of submoronic assertion based on long-refuted stereotypes about African-American community. Pretending to offer advice to his children, he advised that they stay out of heavily black neighborhoods and not attend events likely to draw a lot of blacks. Derbyshire squirted about further races if planning a trip to a beach or amusement park at some date find out where it is likely to be swamped with black i won't even continue that but that is silly it's funny that is a prevalent thing i remember my wife uh, used to play bunko 
with her with her friends. I live in a mostly white neighborhood. And uh, this white woman was very uh, was in a hurry to get to my wife to tell her that her car broke down in a black neighborhood and floor, four black men came up to her car and, and stayed with her until the until the the, the um, so it's, it's in the hood, a bad neighborhood. And until the the record came, the the record came to help her. They offered they offer her water. I mean, they they took care of her because she was in a dark spot. All of that, and these four black guys came. She was scared to death, but they treated her with such kindness. She found it shocking. So she came to the Bunko group and just had to tell my wife the story. And I wanted to ask, what did she expect? You know, you hear the story about. Uh, in the hood, all what black folk killing black folk or gang and all of that, forgetting that it's a huge neighborhood and mostly good things happen even in these neighborhoods of depression. Good things happen. It's a churchful neighborhood. They they have a house parties and barbecue in the front yard and all kinds of good things happen most of the times. People are having fun, dancing, having fun. But the only thing we see on TV that associate blackness with anything is a crime-ridden bullets flying everywhere and, you know. But somehow, we don't see those people that really affect massive death on people, like Netanyahu uh, completely firebombing, destroying, killing over 18,000 Palestinians. We somehow don't see the inhumanity of that and that a culture that sees itself as being able to kill indiscriminately like that isn't inherently uh, that culture, that Western culture that 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 Mike, that uh, Lee Grant likes to talk about that does that. In other words, a thousand two hundred Israeli got killed by terrorists. And for that, the entire Gaza is destroyed. We forget what the British Empire did in India. We forget what the Americans did to the, the indigenous people. We forget all these things and we centralize what we think is inhumane on a particular set of people that look a particular set of way. If we were to be honest, the people that need to run afraid in this country are people who look like me. But I digress. I digress. I digress. Most of the killing in this country, most of the killing in this world doesn't fit the profile of the writer that Lee Grant named that brother Rudnin was so apt to find out about. Thank you, Rudnin, for putting that up and giving me the opportunity to say what I needed to say, sir. Thank you so kindly for doing that. It is amazing how we have allowed narrative to lie to the American psyche. You know, I don't blame racists, the racist, the average racist person. Because if I didn't, if I wasn't a cosmopolitan guy that went all over, that went into the ghettos, the barrios and Appalachia with my own eyes and saw things with my own eyes, it is not easy to see why people are racist. It's not even hard to see why people do the things that they do or have the feelings that they feel as bad as they are. It's not difficult to see that. 
And that's why I put loving on everybody, irrespective of race, creed, culture, whatever, because I understand where your racism comes from. It comes from being able to have a narrative in your brain to inoculate you from seeing what Netanyahu is doing. What Netanyahu is doing is, is murder, it is evil, it is terrorism, it is, it is all these things what Netanyahu is doing. But you have, many have channeled that with tunnel vision. Oh, Hamas killed 1,200 Israelis and they raped all these women. All of that is true. Israel, we have Israeli soldiers raping women, killing women, decapitating people, all these things. They're professing their hate in Gaza, all on videos as well. But somehow we can change the narration ourselves to justify that based on the narrative that Israel and Biden are given to you. 18,000 dead people, over 8,000 dead children. Nothing close. Decimated infrastructure, decimated buildings, cracked skulls. And you and go a few, go five miles in to Tel Aviv or or to Hafau and all these other places, and you see people sitting down at cafes, drinking their coffees and eating their empanadas and having a good time and partying. And you tell me who is the aggressor? You tell me who is the evil one? You tell me who is the mass killers? You tell me who are the ones that are inherently violent? Don't let your eyes, don't let your narrative force your eyes not to see what is out there. All right, let me continue reading. Mike Cisak, uh, Michael Rudnan to Mike Cisak says, we've understood how carbon dioxide traps heat since 1856, and you still don't understand how burning fossil fuel accumulates in the atmosphere. Again, uh, you can't, you can't, willful ignorance will remain willfully ignorant. Work with what you can, uh, Rudnan. All right, uh, BGMCP says, reckon truck. Egberto Willis, we call them dragon wagons. <laughs> okay, Bridge. Okay, Bridge. Okay, Bridge. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Brother Ray. Ray, come on in, brother. How are you doing this afternoon? Oh, Brother Egberto. Um, yeah, I heard you um, earlier uh, on the um, different subject. I, I'm I'm still in the mind of politics right now, and I had a a theory I wanted to share with you, if you don't mind. Uh, please do, please do, please do, please do. So, you know, as we're entering a new, uh, a new cycle of politics, um, you know, with all this stuff looming, you know, there's always going to be like 30%. So if, if, if we look at population as a scale, mm-hmm. um, and you look once all the way to the one side being extremely, conservative, extremely right wing, extreme, you know, right wing extremist, you know, MAGA people on that side. And then you look at the other side of the spectrum. I say there's about 30% of people that identify as leftists, as, Mm -hmm. you know, Bernie supporters, as, you know, maybe socialists, democratic socialists, maybe communists in there, you know, somewhere in that percentage. And those are people that are highly motivated in both sides to uh, to turn out for their base in voting. So I feel like as an activist, you know, it's my duty to try to activate that other 21 percent. I feel there's always 21 percent 
you know, and, and I just came up with this 21% theory, you know, kind of off the top of my head that if there's 30% of, you know, progressives that you know are going to turn out mm-hmm. and they're going to show up for the primaries, they're going to show up for the, for the progressive um, policies and the progressive candidates, but they always need that extra 21% to carry over the gap to be able to, to hold a majority of power. Same thing on the Republican side, but they understand this. See, they know they don't really need to have 50 or 60 percent of the population agree with them. They just need that 21 percent to get active right at the right moment during an election cycle. If I may interrupt you a second, Brother Ray, and that is what they do. They scare the bejesus out of them and they only have to keep them scared for a few weeks. And then after that, they just throw them to the dogs. Just look at what the Republican Party has done, uh, what they promise and what they do. They just need to get their vote. So they scare the whole diseases out of them for a few, and then they forget about them. But the same now, now I, I have to be, I have to play devil's advocate because mm-hmm. the same can be said for Democrats. I mean, Democrats promise a lot of progressive policy to us. You know, oh, I agree with you. Oftentimes, you know, a lot of a lot of times conservatives look at us and they say, why do you support Biden? He doesn't even give you what you want, you know, but you they know don't what? understand the strategic part I, of it that mm-hmm. we know. Ray, I want you to forgive me. Ray, Ray, I want you to forgive me. I, when I, uh, and let me tell you what I mean. Whenever I'm talking about, I, I shouldn't really just say Democrat. I should just say progressive uh, because, because I consider, um, uh, neoliberal Democrats, nothing more than Republican light. So I don't, wh- when I'm talking about that, you know, so I don't even consider them real Democrats. And that's what we kind of did yesterday. I wish you had come to that meeting yesterday, to the CEC meeting yesterday. You would have been, you would have been so impressed and happy with what went on there with the progressives out there, how they pretty much took the room over. Yeah. And I, I heard your, your boy on, uh, I think it was uh, Bard this morning on on the kpft show right you know trying to trying to be smart about yeah i'm glad y'all came after kim Ong. now let's come after some other democrats like whoa buddy you know <laughs> i know you you kind of laughed at him but i'm over here like i know what you're doing here see you trying to use the the moment but see kim Ong was using her power to damage democrats which in essence would help you know republicans you know right. so well, she you triangulated know, what I help Republicans. Yeah. Uh, what but, she did. But uh, progressive movement. Yeah. Ray, what she did, what she was doing was understanding that she was not going to get the progressive vote. And like you said, that's 30 percent right off the bat that she's not going to get. So the only way for her to win is the same way that Whitmer won. Right. Maximize your Republican vote percentage in a Democratic county. And the way to do that is to hit all the numbers. And like I said, she hit COVID-19 by throwing the Pakistani guy uh, an indictment. She hit uh, the the voted the, the false voter stuff by hitting the black guy who vote because she says I'm helping you guys with suppression of the black vote. She hits the 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 uh, police stuff with by saying, hey, even if a police kills a kid, uh, I'm not gonna con- con- I'm not gonna condemn him. And she also showed them that she will go against the most powerful uh, people of color in government in this county. She hit she hit the trifecta. 
Okay, she hit the trifecta. Now she is a bona fide Democrat who will just need a few Democrats to win because she will get all of the Republican vote. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, well, I mean, and and with this presidential thing coming up, you know, we just got to remember, like, there's 21 percent of the population out there that's not really paying attention to what's mm-hmm. going on in the world because they have to work, they have to pay their bills, they have to figure out how to gas the car, you know, and, you know, they vote on emotion. They vote because we tell them who mm-hmm. they should vote for and why. And, right. you know, I, I would like to hope that we become, we come to a part, you know, and, and, and I bring this up because, of, you know, the, the, the low turnout in the city races, you know, mm-hmm. there's certain people, like I say, that was probably like about 30% of the population right, or less right, that right. chose the mayor, you know what I mean? Right. Of a, of a major city of mm-hmm. 2 million or so people, you know, only with 200 something thousand people turned out for right. the election. And, and Daniel said a lot of the, a lot of the turnout was in, in more, more white districts. Let's just say, right. you know, yeah. the, the black districts didn't come out and, you know, that's because, you know, there, there wasn't enough outreach, you know, it's just like there is a certain vested interest in certain races, even though, you know, people say this and, 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 you know, it's not heard, but it needs to be said again, you know, politics is local, you know, the president and all of that is great, you know, but if you say, look, my, my vote doesn't count anyway for the president. Well, why don't you go and at least vote for your city council vote for your mayor, vote for your city controller. These are people that haven't, that have a platform. And here's the thing that I want to also bring up. See, the, as progressives, we understand there's a two part to this place. Like, like, like my organization where I, I practice my activism, we, we practice with two fists. We have people power and political power. We get you elected, but it's still our job to hold you accountable. So that means if you have an office, if you have a, 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 a desk somewhere like a city council or a commissioner's court, you know, we need to come to your job and talk to you in your face and, and set the agenda. That's something that a, a brother said on, on the um, earlier show. We yes. need to be better about setting the agenda when we get people elected. And that's why a lot of, you know, neoliberals get elected when it should have been a progressive. And then, we don't come to the neoliberals and bring them the progressive agenda and say, this is what we want. And if we don't get it, then we're going to bring, we're going to bring you out of here. And you're exactly right with Kim. Ogg. Mm-hmm. You know, Kim mm-hmm. Ogg knew what the progressive agenda was, but she willfully went against it. And that mm-hmm. will happen occasionally, but she had to pay the price for that. Right. And, you know, more than likely she's going to lose her, lose her election, the, the upcoming election, because now that she has an admonition from Democrats, Democrats know that she is that she's not one one of us. But anyway, Ray, I got to play some videos here. So, hey, Bruce, what is that five percent? I got to play a couple of videos here. So let let me go ahead and do that. I may only get a chance to put one, but I'll I'll go ahead and play it, and we'll take it on the other side. All right, brother. Well, thank you for the time. I'll be watching. Thank you, brother. You have a you you have a great one, my friend. All right, folks. So let let's go ahead and do the. The first video today, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the, you know, they're trying to, uh, to, well, I, let me make sure that I get the right video in here. 
I want to play the video. This is how I speak a little bit about inflation, etc. Because this is, oh, wow, I already, apparently I had it loaded already. Let's go ahead and play that now. And then we'll take it on the other side. Inflation is falling. Inflation is falling. Actually, comparatively, very, very fast. I mean, we still have some problems in the economy, a lot of problems in the economy, but these problems are structural that we need to modify uh, our economic system if there are to be changes in order to alleviate uh, wealth and income disparity. Again, we have a structural problem with the economy that does not, uh, that does not value work as it should, does not value labor based on what it, the value it brings to society, that a stockbroker makes more money than a, than let's say an engineer or something like that makes absolutely no sense because that stockbroker is interchangeable, much more interchangeable than is an engineer and, and, and many other factors. So I mean, there are structural problems in the way we value worth the work that people have to do. But inflation is down by a bunch. Many people don't understand it. Many people don't understand uh, how an economy works. I love this particular economist. I want you to listen to what he had to say on um, the 11th hour with Stephanie Rule yesterday. Then we'll take it on the other side. Americans are in a bad mood about the economy. Republicans, Democrats, independents, they are telling pollsters that they feel miserable. Now, I can give you all the reasons why the economy is in very good shape. Employers are still hiring. Wages are outpacing inflation. Even today, news that inflation was up just over 3% compared to a year ago. Really good news. But here's the problem. Americans are mad. They're mad because so many things cost more than they did before the pandemic. Groceries are up 25%. Rent is up 21%. Auto insurance up 35%. And for many, it's not about inflation slowing back to its old pace before the pandemic. They want prices to fall back too. But here's the thing. I'd like to see prices lower, but when you dig into it, that might not actually be a good thing. We're going to explain why. And luckily, I got the perfect guy to do it. My good friend, Justin Wolfers, is here, professor of economics and public policy at the University of Michigan. Justin, we have a good economy, right? Almost every leading economist a year ago thought we would be deep in a recession today, and we're not. Inflation has slowed. But the sticking point for so many of us in our everyday lives that's creating this negative sentiment is that stuff's really expensive, right? Before the pandemic, a gallon of milk was $3.20 on average. Today, it's four bucks. When people go to restaurants, they're saying, Jesus, when are these prices going to go back down? I need you to explain to us why it is a good thing for prices not to go back to pre-pandemic because I'd, I'd like them to be lower. <laughs> We'd all like that, wouldn't we? And, you know, Stephanie, don't stop and say, let's get prices back to 2019 levels. You know what's even better? Let's get prices back to 1919 levels. Uh, Coke was a nickel. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Look, the reason that thought experiment doesn't work is we could go back, we could have prices at 1919 levels, all prices, including wages. And that's the thing. What, has, what happens in the economy on average is as prices rise, so do wages. 
Like one comes with the other. And what we've seen in this economy is, yes, prices have risen a lot, but so have wages. Now, I want to get to the core of your question. There is a way back to 2019 prices. In fact, there's a way back to 1919 prices. We could smash the economy. We could stop all demand. We could create a massive recession so that no one anywhere could sell anything at their current prices. So then they'd have to cut prices. And that's how we get prices to go back by destroying demand, by raising unemployment to 10, 11, 12, 15, 20%. But I'll tell you the truth, none of us want that because the pain of inflation is temporary. It's prices getting ahead of wages. The pain of unemployment is a whole lot greater. All right, but let's talk about this. The economy is different for different people, right? If you own a home, if you have a fixed rate mortgage, if you've got a steady job, a 401k, Things are okay for you, right? Health insurance, higher prices, they're maddening, but you feel pretty good financially. If you're on the other end, if you are trying to save for buying a home, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, higher prices are killing you. So how do you solve things for people in that second camp? Just saying to them, man, it's not a recession. You should feel good. That doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. Look, you make a really important point, which is I was just describing averages, and and each of us is different, a a beautiful flower. Um, One of the things that's really important about this, this current expansion is the first expansion in my lifetime in which people in the lower half of the income distribution are getting larger wage rises. So, in fact, this is the first time in decades pay rises are going to those who need them the most. You know where they're not going? They're not going to the highly educated upper middle class amongst which journalists are dramatically overrepresented. Um, so for a large, you know, a large number of people, the reality is that they're doing better. They're actually doing better than just keeping up. They're getting ahead. For you, Stephanie, I bet you're kind of finding it hard to get someone to clean your house. It might be a little more expensive than it once was. I'm not saying you don't do it yourself. But yes, when a price changes, two things happen. The buyer feels worse, but the seller feels happier. And that's what we're seeing right now with low-wage labor. You point to a whole bunch of other places where this same dynamic plays out. You're absolutely right. When When house prices rise, it's terrible for new people trying to get into the market. It's wonderful for the people who own houses. But here's a funny thing. Imagine right now the headlines were house prices plummeting. What do you think the national financial press would be saying? They'd be talking about how that's terrible news. And it is. That would be terrible news for the homeowners, good news for those trying to get into the market. Yeah, I mean, in that same vein, uh, years ago when rates were at zero, it was also impossible to buy a house because they were getting bid up right, left and center. It is great to have someone who can explain it this way. The problem is, can we get this into the appropriate minds? Mothers are looking for good health care. Parents are looking for good health care. Parents are trying to find daycare for their kids as they try to find gainful employment uh, commensurate with having children. Students or former students are trying like hell to pay off their student loans. People are trying to get food on the table the best that they can. Uh, There is much that the government can actually do a responsible government 
to mitigate all these issues, right? But what did the Republican Party decide to do? They decided to run an impeachment inquiry to figure out uh, if the Biden family is corrupt. Well, of course, they have already called them corrupt, but they, they, they have no evidence, no proof that there is any corruption going here. So they want to create an impeachment inquiry just to find out if maybe something corrupt has happened there. And we are talking a few million dollars here and there. Of course, no inquiry was made when Donald Trump's uh, son-in-law decided to get a $2 billion uh, investment from a Saudi company, right? That wasn't a problem when he did it. I want you to listen to how Jamie Raskin handled the Republicans today at that hearing where they are going to attempt to vote on creating a um, uh, impeachment hearing. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Yeah, well, Mr. Speaker, I need a map to get out of the rabbit hole that Mr. Comer just took us down. But if you want to know what uh, an impeachable offense looks like, here it is. When that man, wannabe dictator, told that angry, violent mob to attack this Capitol building where we all are right now to overturn a free and fair election. This is what a smoking gun looks like. I now yield three minutes to the gentleman from Maryland, the distinguished ranking member of the Committee on Oversight and Accountability, Mr. Raskin. Gentleman is recognized for three minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Speaker. You know, the reason mysteries are called whodunits is because they start with a crime and then you have to try to figure out who did it. The Biden impeachment investigation Investigation isn't a whodunit, it's a what is it? It's like an Agatha Christie novel where the mystery is what's the crime? And that gets very tedious very fast. After 11 months of this, no one can tell us what President's, President Biden's crime was, much less where it happened, when it happened, what the motive was, who the perpetrators were, or who the victims were. Maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen in Congress was yesterday in the Rules Committee when Congressman Nagus kept asking Congressman Reschenthaler what the crime was. And Reschenthaler, who's not on the Oversight Committee and is apparently just waking up to the joke, kept saying he didn't know what it was, but that's why we need an impeachment investigation to find out. And Nagus kept asking asking him, but what will the impeachment investigation be looking for? And finally, Reschenthaler said a high crime or misdemeanor. And Nagus said, yes, but which one? Now, Nagus, of course, was involved in a real impeachment investigation of a real presidential offense. The incitement of a violent political insurrection against this Congress, against the vice president of the United States, against the Constitution and against the election of 2020. We did not need Sherlock Holmes in a magnifying glass to find the presidential crime with Donald Trump. It came right into this house and smashed us in the face. Now, it's true Chairman Comer has collected a mountain of evidence over the last 11 months, tens of thousands of pages of documents, dozens of hours of interviews with government officials, but all of it clearly shows that Joe Biden committed no crime. Even their own witnesses that they called to the only public hearing they had said there is not remotely enough evidence to justify impeachment. Chairman Comer has bragged on Fox News about procuring 100% compliance 
compliance with his subpoenas. So forget about obstruction, which I hear them muttering about today. Mr. Speaker, I played a game with uh, the little kids in our family at Thanksgiving. I asked them whether they'd seen my henway. And when they said, what's a henway? I said four or five pounds. It's a dad joke. And some of the bigger kids got it. But when I asked the little kids, like three or four, if they'd seen my henway, they said, what's a henway? And I said three or four pounds. And they started looking for it. And when the other kids came along and asked what they were doing, they said, we're looking for Uncle Jamie's henway. And then for hours, they were looking everywhere for my henway under the sofa and under the chairs. And it could go on for days like that. Mr. Speaker, we're all looking for the Republican Party's henway. It just weighs three or four pounds, but it's costing us tens of millions of dollars. So please forgive me for spoiling the party here. But I want to say this to America. There is no henway. And this stupid, blundering investigation is keeping us from getting any real work done for the people of America. I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I love the way uh, the the guy ended it. Raskin points out all the different things that these guys claim they didn't get because they wanted to figure out if if the president needs to be impeached. I mean, years, eleven months of research, eleven months of investigation, paperwork after paperwork after paperwork. Not one of them can tie the president to any wrongdoing. So what do they do? They try to create an impeachment inquiry to look into that as their own constituents are suffering. Maybe they should visit Appalachia. Maybe they should visit the poorest area in this country, Appalachia, and help those people out instead of grandstanding in front of Congress. We spend a lot. Yes, that's what they probably should do. Anyway, folks, we're at the end of the program. So please go ahead and support the program however you can. Politicsonright.com slash support. Politicsonright.com slash support has all the different ways in which you can support the program. I'd like you to consider becoming a subscriber, a paid subscriber of our newsletter. Our newsletter is free for anybody who wants to get the newsletter. But I ask folks to go ahead and consider uh, becoming a paid subscriber by going ahead and, and uh, going to politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Paid subscribers get, uh, get to access all of our books online, as well as all subsequent books that I write. Oh, yeah. Why are there only two thumbs up? Do you not want to give us some thumbs up, guys? There are 10 people watching on YouTube. Uh, let's see. We had quite a bit more before. And those thumbs and and they're and it's com, coming and transitioning. Please go ahead and give those thumbs up. Uh, I would love to see that thumbs up right now. Let's see. Uh, and if you're on Twitch watching it on Twitch Live, go ahead and uh, I don't know what you do on Twitch, but on 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 if you're watching on Facebook Live, please go ahead and click it as well. Let's go ahead and do that. All right, um, we're gonna get out of here one more time. Please go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter politicsandright.com slash newsletter, politicsandright.com slash newsletter. I wonder if people are clicking the like and 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 it's just not coming over because of, you know, what, uh, oh, you got, oh, you reloaded? Oh, let me reload and see if I get that too. Uh, let me reload. I didn't even, I didn't even think about doing that breach. 
I didn't even think of, oh, yeah, we got, okay, got you. All right, we can still use some more thumbs up. We can go ahead and refresh. It's up to 13 thumbs up, but we want hundreds of thumbs up, guys, hundreds. Anyway, look, we got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly, all of you, for being here. You know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.